The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay, our sermon today is Exodus 36, 1 through 38. We're going to do the entire chapter. It's a lot of verses. I'm going to read quickly, and uh, you've heard all but the seven verses before. So here we go. Exodus 36, and Bezalel and Aholiab. And every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all of the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. Then he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another, and he made fifty clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent of the tabernacle. He made eleven curtains. The length of each curtain was thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together, that it might be one. Then he made a covering for the tent of ramskins dyed red, and a covering of badger skins above that. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood, standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits, and the width of each board a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle, and he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 
40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both of them for the two corners. So there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. Then he made the bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward. And he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. Then he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. He made it for uh, four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast their sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver, and its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. We're going to cover more verses today in a single sermon than I have ever presented before. And with many verses come many details. It doesn't matter that 31 of the verses have been substantially given to you before. You probably don't remember 99.837% of what those details pointed to. Because of this, instead of our usual 24 or 25-page sermon, I have 139 pages to get through. Lunch? No lunch. You'll be blessed if you're home by bedtime. Okay, that's not going to happen. Other than the first seven verses, I'm not going to go into any detail at all. But those seven verses do have a lot of relevant detail which you can contemplate and apply to your own life in the presence of the Lord. When we get towards the end of them, I'm going to highlight a group of people who tend to give more than the rest of other people. It almost seems like a universal truth, and it probably stems from the fact that those who don't have don't worry about what they don't have. Jim and I see that every single weekend on the uh, mission work and the projects. But those who do have always worry about keeping it. Solomon actually talked about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In verse 12, he said, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. That's our text verse for today. From the verses today, we will see that some of the people probably didn't sleep the night through, but it was because they were preparing something for the Lord, not because they were worried about losing what they had. Their hearts were geared towards a good goal, and they were determined to meet that goal, laboring with their hands in order to make it come about. Is this what you're doing with your time? Are you working towards meeting goals which are honoring of the Lord? Or are you filling your time with all kinds of other things? Solomon tells us to enjoy our time and to find pleasure in the work of our hands and in the blessing which that work provides. But he also makes us aware that we have responsibilities to the Lord. The people of Israel who are highlighted today spent themselves for a very good cause, and they're remembered for it now in these seven verses. Let each of us endeavor to act the same way with these brief lives that we have been given. Soon enough, we're going to be facing the Lord to make an account of ourselves for what we've done. Such truths are to be found in his superior word, and so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. 
I have just a few thoughts for you today. The first is the people's free will offering. It's verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, And Bezalel and Aholioth, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. The chapter begins with this verse, which curiously seems rightly placed at the end of chapter 35. In verses 30 through 35, Bezalel and Aholiab were named by Moses as the ones called by the Lord to accomplish the work set forth for the construction of the sanctuary. Moses also noted their ability to teach all the others in the skills necessary to accomplish those tasks. He even said of Bezalel almost exactly what is said of him here again. In verse 31, he said that he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. It is of note that there it said the Lord filled him with the spirit of God. Now it says that the Lord has put wisdom and understanding in him. It is the Lord who gives the spirit. Therefore, the wisdom and understanding are from the Lord. This is exactly what Jesus says of himself in the New Testament. Here's what he says in John chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for what he, what he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It is another of the innumerable verses of Scripture which point to the fact that Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New. The same Lord who directs the Spirit of God is found in both because they are one in the same. As far as the curious placement of this verse being placed here instead of at the end of the last chapter, which closed out with the words, those who do every work and those who design artistic designs, that spoke of Bezalel and Aholiab, and it also spoke of all of those who were to be directed by them. Because of this, it would seem that this first verse of chapter 36 should in fact be placed in that section as a final clause. In fact, Adam Clark argues that it is, in fact, misplaced being here. Here's what he says. The first verse of this chapter should end with the preceding chapter, and this should begin with verse the second, as it now stands. It does not make a very consistent sense. So he disagrees with the person that made the chapter divisions in the Bible, which I believe are divinely inspired. And yet, He's in disagreement with him, and yet it is instead placed as an introductory clause to this new chapter. It's so curious that there are two different ways in which this verse is translated. The first is in the past tense. I'll read you the King James Version. Then wrought, past tense, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. They've done this certainly with the assumption that it is a statement explaining what lies ahead as an accomplished fact. The second is in the future tense, as I've already read from the New King James Version and many other versions. It's hard to be dogmatic on which is correct, but the reason for this very curious placement of this verse is actually seen in the next words. Verse 1 going on, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Rather than being a concluding thought for the last chapter, this verse is given as an opening thought for this one. 
It thus ties the two together, and it shows that what the Lord has commanded is to be, in fact, accomplished. What will be described from here on out is then exactly what was commanded by the Lord. Though these men were chosen by the Lord, and though they were filled with the Spirit of God, they are not working independently of the commands of the Lord, but in accord with them. One cannot claim authority in speaking for the Lord without doing that which the Lord has commanded. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to tell you my thought on it. One cannot claim authority in speaking for the Lord without doing that which the Lord has commanded. Wow. If people would simply realize this, they would very quickly turn from the false leaders of the world into those who conduct their lives in accord with the word of God. Any church which has its own catechism, book of laws, or the like to which they are obedient have already started down the wrong path. Those can be amended by man who wrote them, but the word of God is fixed and unchanging. Only in adhering to what the Lord has commanded can there be people who are truly led by his spirit. Verse 2, then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiath, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Verse 1 was given as an introductory thought, directing the people to adherence to the word of the Lord. With that done, Moses is now noted as actually calling those who have the ability to perform that same word. There are those who have abilities and the desire to perform the work of the Lord, but there still needs to be a calling of them for the ability and desire to be used. And so several things are seen here which must all work together. One, there are those who are capable but who are not willing. Two, there are those who are willing but who are not capable. Three, there are those who are both willing and capable, but who are not called. And four, there are those who are willing and capable and who also receive the call. To call those who are capable, but who are not willing will lead to frustration in that individual when he conducts his tasks. To call those who are not capable, but who still want to work will lead to frustration for everyone else who has to make up for their deficiencies. And to call those who are not willing and also not capable will lead to complete frustration and failure in all regards. Only when the qualifications are met and a need for them exists should a call be made for the work of the Lord. For now, those with the abilities and the desire to use them are called forward by Moses to accomplish the work. The verses which describe that work begin in verse 8 and go all the way through chapter 39. They are going to have a ton of repetition to the instructions given to Moses in Exodus 25 through 30. In those chapters, that which was expected to be done was spoken. In these chapters, that which is done is to be documented. The seemingly tedious repetition is given in order to demonstrate exactly what was given in verse 1 concerning the words, all that the Lord has commanded. In other words, there is an expectancy that the word of the Lord will be fulfilled, even in the minutest detail. The accomplishment of this work in that same detail is given to show obedience to that word. If the work does not represent the instruction, then an incorrect presentation of the Lord's word would be the result. As each detail of these instructions was given as an anticipatory picture of Christ, as we've seen a million times in the past sermons, then any details not adhered to would present a false picture of Christ. In other words, it is showing us two truths. The first is that there is the true Christ and there are false Christs. 
The second is that the true Christ is revealed in type and shadow in what is ultimately made and then approved by Moses. This adherence to the minutest details of what the Lord has spoken will be seen in the final words of this very long and detailed section in chapter 39, verses 42 through 43. It's going to say this, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all of the work. Then Moses looked over all the work and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. Understanding this, we are not going to skip over these three chapters of repetition. We're going to go through them, but just not with the same minute parsing of each word that we went through before. Rather, we're going to simply and quickly follow them along and highlight the work as it goes. In the chapters ahead, I'm also, and I said this a few sermons ago or a few weeks ago, we're going to have some different type of sermons for a while, and I think that starts next week. I wasn't sure when it was going to start, but for about three weeks, we're going to have some different sermons. I'm going to use what is being explained as a basis for following other avenues for us to pursue. Don't lose interest in what lies ahead. These are repeated for your benefit and for your instruction, and so cherish them with that in mind. Verse 3, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. Back in Exodus 25, verse 8, the term mikdash, or sanctuary, was used to describe every single thing concerned with what is being constructed. Two other terms have been given throughout these chapters. One was mishkan, or tabernacle, and the other was ohel, or tent. You've got the mishkan, the tabernacle where the Lord resides, and then over it is the ohel, or the tent. Some translations have followed these words very precisely, stating them as intended each time they were used. Others have not, and they were regularly wrong in how they presented the tent and the tabernacle in particular. This causes confusion as to what's being spoken of. The word translated here as sanctuary in the verse we're looking at now is ha-kodesh, or literally the holy. However, it is the same in meaning as mikdash, or sanctuary. And so the word sanctuary here is correct. Everything about the structure is holy, and it is a single unit which comprises the entire sanctuary. If you look over there at that, everything that you see there is included in that depiction as being a part of the sanctuary. Understanding this, all of the offering which is brought forward is for the purpose of making a sanctuary. The opening words of the verse are, Ve'yekhu milifane Moshe, literally, and received from before the face of Moses. The mental image here is piles and piles of offerings which were first presented to Moses and then who passed them on to the workmen for the required service. Verse 3 continues, so they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. The word vehem or and they is emphatic here. It is speaking of the Israelites now. There were piles of goods which had been brought but the people continued to bring more as a nedebah, or a free will offering. This is the first time that this word is used in the Bible, and it is correctly translated as free will. The people voluntarily gave, they did so with spontaneity, and they continued to give baboker, baboker, or by morning, by morning. The fact that the offerings are specified as coming in the morning shows that the people labored to make whatever was requested, maybe spinning yarn or preparing the animal hides, whatever. They worked into the night and excitedly got up and rushed to Moses to present their offerings. Others surely lay in bed and thought, did I give enough yesterday? Or maybe they thought, Tom gave more than me and I feel embarrassed to have given so little. 
The thoughts of the night compelled the people to search themselves out and to decide on what gift they would be willing to present the next day. At morning, they would come forward to ease the burden of the call upon their hearts. Verse 4, then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing. The word for craftsmen here is ha-hakamim. Literally, it means the wise men. In other words, they are those with the skills of the labor. They're noted here as now suspending the work that they're doing on the sanctuary. So there must be a very important reason for doing so. Verse 5, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of which the Lord commanded us to do. A new word is brought into the Bible here, die or enough. In this verse, it is connected to the word men, and so it's used in a comparative sense, thus more than enough. There was a need, and the need has been more than met. The Lord commanded the work, the people were asked for an offering, not out of compulsion, and the need is met, and even more so. What the Lord has commanded will be realized. This same marvelous sense of giving is found again in 1 Chronicles where the people gave for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 26. Then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered it willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And again, in the building of the second temple, after the exile of Israel, the people gave as is recorded in both the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Today, today, even as we live and breathe, people of Israel are giving for the building of the next temple. It is a sad thing that it is misdirected giving because they have missed Jesus Christ in the process. Verse 6, so Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. What the previous verse as well as this verse imply without actually stating it is the integrity of the workmen and of Moses. If they wanted to, they could have kept gathering the things brought forward and lined their own pockets with the excess. Moses could have said, this is going to be our pay. Let them bring what they want. But neither occurred. The workmen had enough for the work and they passed that on to Moses. He was interested in the work of the Lord, which was now fully provided for. And so he made it known that it was time to stop bringing their offerings. What is more, the words, let neither man nor woman do any more work, indicates that it was the people who were offering things which required labor who seemed to be the most willing to give. The making of thread, yarn, dyed fabrics, and the like is what is specifically being noted. These would be the common people who probably had the least to give, and yet they gave abundantly out of their poverty. And this reminds me of the trip that I took in 2010 when I went to preach at every capital in the nation. I stayed with many families as I went around the U.S., and they were all, every one of them, were exceptionally kind to me, and they took good care of me. But the family that went far, far beyond their ability to help was the poorest that I stayed with. They were a Hispanic family in Philadelphia. They lived in absolute squalor. They literally lived hand to mouth. And yet when I left, they had prepared enough food, and I'm serious, for a traveling army. They sent me off with that. I ate beans and rice and whatever this thing that she made 
for days and days and days. She was absolutely concerned that I left and I was prepared all the way through until wherever my next stop would be. The same was true in the poorest countries that I visited in the past. I've been all over Asia, all over Southeast Asia. Those who had nothing always gave beyond their ability to give. And yet the more wealthy countries, it was never, never the case. On the other side of this same note, though, it is the poorest group, those who have the least to give, who are always targeted by the false teachers and preachers of the gospel. They know this truth, and they take advantage of it in order to enrich themselves. They promise that the windows of heaven will be open to them and their audience if they just give to the preacher, knowing that they will be taking what cannot be afforded. If they could, they'd even steal the food, half-chewed out of the people's mouths. I'm absolutely sure of that. These woefully cheated flocks are being almost just, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but you watch on TV and you know what I'm talking about. You look into the audience when they pan the audience and there's all these poor people and they say, just give, 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 and the heavens will be open to you. And they take verses out of context and they say the windows of heaven are going to open up and all, and these people are just throwing money at them. They fly around in Learjets, they have Rolls Royces, and the people never do get wealthy. They're looking for a ticket from God to be an ATM, and it's not going to happen. But the people should be told what is true and what's correct about the Bible. What does it say in the book of Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians, I think. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's right. These people aren't told that. Get up and go to work. Instead, they're told, just give me money, and the Lord will be a cosmic ATM to you. He'll repay you. That's exactly how it is. Moses will have none of it. He has been told of the surplus, and he now speaks out the command to decease and desist from bringing more. It is to such a noble group that the command now goes out. Verse 6 continues, and the people were restrained from bringing. The word here for restrained, kala, means just that. It was first used in Genesis 8, verse 2, when the Lord shut up the windows of heaven in order to restrain the rains from coming after the flood. The word gives the sense of purposeful, restraining action. In this case, the people had to be restrained from giving more. It shows the true desire of them to be considered as having taken a part in the construction of this marvelous edifice. Here's what Charles Ellicott says about this verse. He says, The humblest class of contributors would thus appear to have shown itself the most zealous. When will Christian liberality be so excessive as to require to be restrained? <laughs> Good question, Charles. Verse 7, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. The die or sufficiency of verse 5 is again repeated here. This is bolstered by the use of the same word in the Hebrew to translate both material and work. In essence, it says, and the work that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Although the verses so far reflect a strong desire for the construction of the sanctuary, we must go back and remember what the construction of the sanctuary implies to fully understand the importance of these verses. In verse 33-3, we read this, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord has told Moses that he would not go up in their midst. This implied that the tabernacle would not be built and that they would only be led to Canaan, but would not be given the blessing of having the Lord residing in their midst. Because of this, the people stripped themselves from that time on of any ornamentation. They were a people mourning at their rejection by the Lord. And from this act of contrition and the mediation of Moses, the Lord relented and agreed to go up in their midst. The sanctuary was to be the proof of his presence, and so the offerings were given with that in mind. 
The people in their giving showed the strongest desire to uphold this covenant relationship with the Lord. And as is the case, it was the lowly and the humble who were at the forefront of the process. It is a truth which, believe it or not, Paul showed still exists in the New Testament church. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you that the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Think of that family up in Philadelphia that helped me out. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That's exactly what they did when I got in that car. Please take this. And I was like, no, 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 please take this. And this is what we see time and again in history is that the poor are the ones that are the most giving, but they're also the ones that are the most targeted. And so we need to make sure we know doctrine so we can tell them, don't trust those people. Don't do that. Save, work hard, be responsible, and give what you can for the service of the Lord. The churches of Macedonia were poor, and they were even needy, and yet they gave beyond their means in order to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. This self-sacrificial giving is more often than not seen in the poorest of the people. They, like the widow whom Jesus highlighted at the temple, gave much out of their poverty, while the rich normally give little in compared to their wealth. For the service of the Lord here in his church, what are you willing to give? Have you something to offer or will you rest on your perch and vainly whittle away this life that you live? Have you a skill or an ability that is of use and are you willing to use it in the service of the Lord? If you have and do not share, what is your excuse? What other things have you geared your life toward? Surely you have a talent or a treasure, something that can be used to glorify the Lord. And so use it to the full, to the highest measure, don't let your gifts to God simply be ignored, for he will reward you and do so without measure. Seek his glory now and you will receive heavenly treasure. Our second thought today is the construction begins. It's verses 8 through 38. We're going to go through all the rest of it in one short spurt. As I said, much of the words of chapters 36 through 39 are almost identical to the words given to Moses on Mount Sinai in regards to the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. That section of repetition now begins with verse 8. In most cases, the tenses of the verbs are the only thing that make any substantial change in the details. It would not make any sense to cut and paste those sermon verses when you can go listen to them online or read them online. Rather, we're going to cover the rest of the chapter today in one large brushstroke. Verse 8, Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made Ten curtains woven of fine linen and a blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another. And he made fifty clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. Verse 14, he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made eleven curtains. The length of each curtain was thirty cubits and the width of each curtain four cubits and eleven cubits were the same size. He coupled five cubits by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set 
and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. In these verses, from verse 8 through 18, the details correspond in an exact manner to Exodus 26, verses 1 through 11. They were detailed in the sermon, The Tabernacle in the Tent. Marvelous pictures of Christ were seen at that time. Verse 19, then he made a covering for the tent of ramskins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits and the width of each board a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle and he made the boards for the tabernacle 20 boards for the south side. 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both of them for the two corners. So there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. And he made the bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars on the boards for the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward. Then he made the metal bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the bars with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. In these verses, from verse 19 until verse 34, the details correspond in an exact manner to Exodus 26, 14 through 29. Those verses were mostly detailed in the sermon, a sure foundation and a steady frame. Again, marvelously beautiful pictures of Christ were seen in every verse at that time. Verse 35, he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It was worked with artistic design of cherubim. He made it for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. In these verses, from verses 35 and 36, the details correspond in an exact manner to Exodus 26, 33 and 34. Those details were seen in the sermon, The Veil and the Screen. It seems, if you remember, it seems almost impossible to imagine all of the details of Christ which were seen in those verses, but the Lord fit them in for us to marvel over. Verse 37, he also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. These last two verses of the chapter correspond to Exodus 26, 36, and 37. They were also covered in that same sermon, The Veil and the Screen. In all of these verses, there are some translational errors depending on which version you use. For example, in the final two verses, the New King James Version continues with the word tabernacle of the previous verses. In this chapter, even though the Hebrew changes from Mishkan, or tabernacle, to Ohel, meaning the tent over the tabernacle. Such errors in translation will easily cause confusion in the reader if they are attempting to do a detailed study, as we have done with these verses in the past. If you remember that, every time there was a variance from the Hebrew, I always highlighted it. Because if you're trying to read the English and understand what's being built right there, you will never do it by reading some translations, because they're riddled with errors. It's detrimental to a right understanding of many important areas of Scripture because it causes people to become myopic in their theology, and, and their theology will suffer because of it when they get into a one-version mindset, if you know what I'm trying to say. You just, I'm going to stick with one version. I'm going to read that one version. You are always going to err 
okay? In all, we have just gone through the same verses, which took us three complete sermons to get through. If you missed those sermons, you missed more detail than you could possibly imagine. And I would implore you to go back and review them and see what marvelous pictures of Christ are revealed in those 31 verses, all right? Other than the first seven verses of today's sermon, nothing new has been introduced to your ears. But those seven verses were enough, I hope, to prompt you to consider your willingness to give in the service of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about coming to the superior word and giving to this church. What I'm referring to is that you are to be doing something for the Lord. There are skills which you possess. You have a job, you were in your whole life, or maybe you're still in your job and you possess that skill. Maybe you can use that. Resources you have, opportunities which come your way continuously to share yourself for others and to others. The people of Israel built a sanctuary for the Lord to dwell in. We are a part of a much, much more marvelous temple that is being built in which God will reside forever. Each person that comes to the Lord through your efforts, and we think of what Bob talked about earlier when he opened us up today. One person spoke to a a, a person, that person became an evangelist, and another person came to him, and then another person, then you come to Mordecai Ham, Mordecai Ham has a tent meeting, and guess what? Billy Graham sits there and listens, receives the gospel, and becomes the greatest evangelist in our generation. You think of it. When you do something for the Lord, it will have something of a greater meaning. It will. I absolutely assure you of that. Every person that comes to the Lord through your efforts or who is built up in the Lord because of your efforts is another beautiful stone which is being set in that temple. So don't hold back of yourselves. Be willing to expend yourself for this marvelous edifice that God is erecting. And if you just happen to be here and are not one of the saved of Christ, please let me tell you about his cross and what it means to you. Because every single one of these verses that we have looked at and it seems like a lot of just information. And if you haven't heard those sermons, you have no idea what was being described. Oh, he's just building something. Every detail, even individual words pointed to something that Christ has done for you. He's done it for the church that he loves. Every single detail. And it all centers right on the cross of Calvary. He came and he lived that perfect life that we cannot live. And it's all described in those implements that we're reading about right now. It was a perfect life. He lived it for us perfectly. He never sinned under the law that he gave us, all pictured in these things. And then he gave his life up in exchange for our sins. The ark, he embodies the law, the mercy seat. His blood was poured out as our covering over that law. Everything, the table of bread, the menorah, everything points to the work of Christ because God is calling out and saying, I love you enough to do this and to give you an example from the Old Testament so that when you see it, you can say, I now see Jesus. I see what God was planning all the way from the very beginning. He would give his life for my sins. And if you simply believe that, if you receive it by faith, I want what Jesus Christ has done. I receive that by faith. You will be saved. That's what God promises. And that you will become a part of the greater tabernacle, which he is building, which is not made with hands. This one was made by hands with things that are corroded and fallen back into the earth by now. But the tabernacle that God is building out of us Human beings will last forever and forever and forever. No corruption, no death, just perfection. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians 2, exactly what I was just talking to you about. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, each one of you, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Next week, Exodus 37, 1 through 29, another long sermon. Be sure to invite all your friends by email. It's entitled Christ in Every Detail. That'll be our 100th Exodus sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Now, I have a very long poem for you, but it won't take that long. We're way ahead of what we normally are because it was such a short sermon. But before I do that, is anybody hot in here? I did not turn this on this morning because it was so cold in here. Let me do that right now. It's 72 degrees, which isn't... Well, see how sissy we've gotten? It's 72 degrees in here, and we're all saying it's hot. But I'm wearing long johns, and I'm sitting here literally sweating. This thing is wet. So I thought, I wonder if anybody else is, because it was cold, and I forgot to turn the thing on. I apologize. Kyle's the only one not complaining. Yeah, Kyle's not complaining. He came with shorts on. Okay, our sermon is called The People's Offering. Okay? I'm sorry, our poem is called The People's Offering. And Bezalel and Aholiav and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding, yes, in each and every man, to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do to all that the Lord has commanded the instructions meticulously out you shall carry. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiav and every gifted artisan too, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and the work to do. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary they had offered ever so well. So they continued to bring him, as we read, free will offerings every morning, suitable offerings indeed. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, each task he was pursuing, yes, all the craftsmen just the same. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough. For the service of the work, which the Lord has commanded us to do, they have brought lots of stuff. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed, the camp throughout, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work. For the offering of the sanctuary, we have enough, no doubt. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much, nothing requested was now deficient. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, the weaving they did tackle. With artistic designs of cherubim they made, they did marvelous work with their trade. The length of each curtain was cubits 28 and the width of each curtain cubits 4. The curtains were all the same size. They were thus made properly for sure. Then he coupled five curtains to one another, thus he did do. And the other five curtains he coupled to one another too. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain of the selvage of set one. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. So it was done. Fifty loops he made on one curtain and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain. On the end of the second set, the loops held one curtain to another. This is for certain. And he made fifty clasps of gold and coupled the curtains. This job he did tackle to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains, giving 100%. The length of each curtain was cubits 30 and the width of each curtain cubits 4. The 11 curtains were the same size and they were made properly for sure. He coupled five curtains by themselves. This he did do and six curtains by themselves too. He made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set, the loops he didn't forget.
He also made 50 bronze clasps, so it was done, to couple the tent together that it might be one. Then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering of badger skins above that, just as the Lord said. For the tabernacle he made boards, of acacia wood standing upright per the Lord's words. The length of each board was ten cubits accordingly, and the width of each board a cubit and a half, you see. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. This job he did tackle, thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle. And for the tabernacle boards he did make, twenty boards for the south side, this he did undertake. Forty sockets of silver he made, according to the Lord's words, to go under the boards twenty. Two sockets for its two tenons under each of the boards. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards, you see, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards accordingly. For the side of the tabernacle to the west, he made six boards, just as to him the Lord addressed. He also made boards also for the two back corners of the tabernacle. This is where they did go. And they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both of them for the two corners he did accomplish this thing. So there were eight boards and their sockets, sockets of silver, numbering 16, two sockets under each of the boards. He did this according to the pattern Moses had seen. And he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, as to him was made understood. Five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, too, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward, so he did do. And he made the middle bar to pass through as the Lord did intend, the boards from one end to the other end. He overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold, just as he was told. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, so he did entwine in fine woven linen. It was worked with cherubim in an artistic design. He made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, he cast four sockets of silver for them. He did just as the Lord had told. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, these three, and fine woven linen made by a weaver, and his five pillars with their hooks, as was intended to be. Then he overlaid their capital and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze, just as he was told. Lord God, you have given us instructions in your word, things which you, which we are to do as you determine our right, and so help us to be obedient. Help us in this, Lord, that we may walk in a manner which is pleasing in your sight. Lord, surely in obedience to you with this you are pleased, and in this obedience surely all our griefs are eased. And so with this we will press on, our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the greatest joy and the highest hope for each of us. <sighs> Hallelujah and amen. <sighs> Heavenly Father, Thank you for this wonderful passage, even though there's a lot of repetition and a very long poem to end us today. We did learn a little bit at the beginning, verses 1 through 7, which were useful for us. And I thank you. I thank you especially for all the really kind-hearted people that were so good to me in 2010, all of them. They were all very, very good to me. And I thank you for that one family who was so giving, even out of their poverty, that they, they gave me probably more in one morning to take with me than they would eat in that week. They were such a treasure and such a, a blessing to my heart. And Lord, please bless each person that is so willing to give in your service, whether it's to their church or whether it's to a missionary or whether it's to some other service that you have intended for them. And help us to be strong in our proclamation that there are false gospels 
and that there are people out there that are willing to cheat the poor and the unsuspecting and to get away from that and to teach right doctrine so that people will see that there is uh, reward from you, but it's not always in this life. We can't expect the windows of heaven to be opened up and a Maserati to fall into our driveway. Rather, you have something set aside for us for heavenly rewards that will be coming, that will be beyond anything we can even conceive of now. We thank you for the promises which are found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, Lord, we do pray for all of the people that I mentioned at the beginning of the service, all of those many diseases and things that have been brought to me over the past week that we went through, people with trials and troubles and moving and needing jobs and just on and on, Lord, we pray for them. We ask that you be with them and help them through those things. And we thank you that you are our ever-present help in time of need. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we exalt you and we do it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. We get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, there Paul wrote these words for us. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he would have given thanks over it by saying, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he would have blessed us by saying, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking at the lambs in there? Oh, I, I thought you were looking. You kind of gave it a look. My mom, every time she walks by, she looks at the lambs. But you got to think of Jesus. It's all picturing the Lord. I was contemplating. <laughs> the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for what you've done for us, and uh, thank you for this precious word, and uh, we're grateful for it. Thank you for allowing us to search it out and to see all of the beauty which was revealed in those previous sermons of this tabernacle, and the ones that are coming in the, the weeks ahead help us to... Uh, just respond accordingly to the repetition and know that it is there for a good purpose, is that your people were obedient to your word and they did exactly as you had instructed them and everything came out exactly as it should in order to show us that Christ is the object and the subject of all of these things that we are looking at. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to pray for the people who are sick and going through so many trials and troubles. And it's an honor to do so, and we do pray once again that you will be with them and help them. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the uh, week ahead, which is the week of Thanksgiving, where we should be thankful for all of the things that we have in this life. Help us to have hearts of gratitude towards you. And what a sin ingratitude is. Help us not to be uh, involved in that, but rather to be thankful for all things that come our way from your open hand of grace. And we love you, and we praise you, and we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.